Now the kids will be dismissed. Um, kindergarten to fifth grade are back here, and Pastor Bree's taking the youth out there. Um, good morning again. Always thankful to be able to worship together. Um, as we um, prayed for, today is Mother's Day, so we want to celebrate and, and say Happy Mother's Day to, to all the, the, the mothers, the women who gift life. Um, it's, a, it's a blessing. But we also always try to hold this day uh, in, in tension because this is also a very hard day. Um, it's a hard day for people who are either going through loss or it's a hard day for people who have complicated relationships with their mothers. It's a hard day um, for people who have a complicated relationship with mothering, whether it's through loss or just all that they've been through. But again, we still gather to say thank you for nurturing us, right? Thank you for being the, the women, the aunties, the moms, the grandmothers, the, the sisters, the friends who, who've given life to us. So happy Mother's Day, not just to the women who give birth physically, but who give birth by giving us life. So happy Mother's Day. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our series of James, uh, talking about living out our faith. This, this Easter side season, we're talking about what does new life in Christ look like? And, and we've said that this is an everyday question. This is a forever question. But how we're going to answer it is by going through the book of James. And, and in this series, we're going to answer or we're going to see James's answer by simply saying, live out your faith. Our passage specifically this morning comes from James 1, 12 to 18. We'll be reading it. Uh, I'll be reading it up here, but you also have it up front. In this passage, you'll see, I think it's, it's, it's poignant, and I think it's beautiful by the Holy Spirit, because I definitely didn't plan this. But in this passage where we're celebrating Mother's Day, James is going to introduce us or maybe reintroduce us to this idea of how God births us. And as we think about that, we may we be reminded that the God who's on our side is the good God who only gives perfect gifts. And may we be challenged by James's idea then that we are the first fruits of the harvest that God wants to bring forth. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to James 1, 12 to 18. Again, it'll be up front. And our focus this morning is what one writer called the snare of temptation. Starting at verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my, brothers, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you're indeed the God who births us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you birth within us a desire to come back to you. You birth within us direction of how to follow you. You birth within us transformation as you make us into the image of Jesus Christ through our surrender and through God's love. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for birthing us, for being the one who made it possible for us to re-enter into relationship with God, for being the mediator and intercessor who stands before God on our behalf, for being the one who modeled what it is to live to please God in this world. Father God, we thank you for birthing us, not just the plan for salvation, but blessing us with the strength, the power, the perseverance to get through trials and, yes, today, even temptations, to get through hard times and, yes, even darkness, to get through it all knowing that you are indeed on our side, that you are indeed with us, that you are indeed carrying us, and that you so loved us. You promised not just the crown of life to come, but that even today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the sacrifice of your Son, we, through faith, can be first fruits of your harvest. Thank you, Lord our God. 
Thank you for birthing all of this in us. Thank you for birthing all of this through us. Thank you for birthing all of this among us and in our world. In your holy and precious name, amen. As we've been going through the book of James, we've said um, missiologist K.A. Ellis has kind of been our, our, our grounding one who says that James sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount because he's Jesus' brother. He's the one who grew up with him, saw him, listened to three years of ministry after his resurrection starts to follow him. So when James writes this book, kind of like the Sermon on the Mount, it's not simply about what you do and what you don't do. But it's more deeper than that in the sense of like, this is what it means to follow God. So for James, it's not enough that we know about our faith, right? It's not just enough that we hold our faith in our heart. But James wants us to put it to action, right? To lay the hands and feet and to actually put it into practice. This is what we say that's living out our faith. So for James, like, how does your faith show up in your beliefs? Last week, he kind of uh, started us off talking about the, the snare of wealth. Reminding all of us, right, that the tendency is to, to, to praise the gift and forget the giver. To hold on to the blessings and remember the one who's blessed us, right? That the tendency is to, to, to maybe focus on me and mine and forgetting that we belong to God and we belong to each other. So while most of us, when we think about our blessings, we think about, you know, whether I'm a saver or a spender, God seems to want us to be stewards, Meaning that everything I've given you, not just your resources, but your gifts, your skills, your abilities, right? Your children, the people you have influence over, your life, everything I've given you, you are to steward it for me and for the kingdom. Why? Because we belong to God and each other. But now he's going to say, that's what I want you to be reminded with wealth, and we'll all struggle with that. But the second half, when he talks about snares here in verses 12 to 18, he talks about temptation, and I love that he talks about temptation in general. Because here's the thing. Every single one of us will struggle with temptation. But the temptation to you may not be the temptation to me, may not be the temptation to her, may not be the temptation to him. So when he talks about the snare of temptation, he's not just generalizing for generalization's sake, but he wants you to understand the concept between how temptation happens, the dangers of temptation when it happens, but then to remind you of a God who's on your side, of a God who's working through, and of a God who makes it possible to not just come through the temptation, but to be first fruits of the harvest. And so that's where James begins. And when he begins, he actually starts off with a blessing. And the blessing that he starts off says this in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I love this because earlier in the chapter, James talks about perseverance. And there he says what? The testing of your faith produces perseverance to James. It doesn't seem a shock that as a Christian, you will get trials. You will get hard times. It's not if it happens, it's when it happens. Yet James seems to be standing on this biblical tradition that says, our God desires to refine you through the fire. James would be standing on this tradition that says that, yes, the waters will rise, but with God you can walk through. Yes, the fires will rage, but with God standing, you can stand in that fire. You can walk on them coals. James seems to think that the testing of your faith will produce this endurance, and that endurance will lead to perseverance, and that perseverance will lead to a more complete and perfect faith. Now, most of us who've been following Jesus for a while, we know that God loves us. But through trial and temptation, we hold on to it a little bit more. We know that God cares for us. But through trials, we know that God is caring for us now. We know that God loves us. 
But when he's picked us up out of the mire, when he's lifted us out of darkness, when he's carried us through the darkest day, we hold on to him even more. That's what James says is that your perseverance leads to a more complete faith. But it also leads to your love of God growing. And what I love about this passage, right, in the, the literary uh, skill, I think they call it, it's called inclusio, right? But it's this idea that, like, he's going to give you a blessing, he's going to give you a blessing, and then the meat is going to be in the middle. So I thought about that. I'm like, what James is doing here is producing a beautiful Philadelphia hoagie. And you laugh, but it's true. And this is very biblical. James is going, well, first we got to talk about a hoagie. This is important. Philadelphia hoagie, that's right. Somebody in the first service says, South Philly hoagies. I was like, South Philly hoagies in Pakistan, does that make sense to you? You know, but that's, I digress, right? The joy of the Philadelphia hoagie is that, first of all, we call it by its right name, right? The rest of you, I'm not going to call you heathens, but the rest of you call them submarines or subs, right? Like, and your bread tastes like it's been underwater, so I guess it makes sense, right? Like the soggy subs, right? And then there's some of you who maybe New York call them heroes, right? And I'm just like, I don't know what a hero is, but I don't want to eat my hero, right? I want a hoagie. And the joy of the hoagie is not just what goes in the middle, the meat, the cheese, the vegetables. The joy of the hoagie, I tell you, my sisters and brothers, is the bread, it's the bread. Now, in Philly, we're very creative. So you know what we call this bread? The hoagie roll. Very creative. And there's something in the water that makes the bread different, right? There's something in the water that makes your sub soggy and ours crunchy and delicious, right? But what James is doing is he's going to give you a blessing. That's one half of the bread. Then he's going to end with a blessing. That's the other half of the bread. But the meat is going to be his teaching on temptation. So the first blessing that James gives is that, listen, God will bless Everyone who perseveres under trial. What a blessing to know that it's not when, but when the trial comes. Just like Jesus in the Beatitudes, blessed is the meek, blessed are the poor, right? James said, blessed is the one who perseveres. That means that all of us are to be not only holding on to God, but we need to endure. Because when we endure, God grows our faith. So he says, yeah, that's a great, great blessing. But then he points to the end, right? This is James's example of well done, good and faithful servant. He says that not only will God come to you and help you persevere through this trial, but if you stand the trial, if you pass the test, if you come on the other side, you will receive a crown of life. In that culture, the crowns represented joy. It represented contentment. It represented accomplishment. It also represented royalty. At the end of this life, when you come through the trials, God will look at you and place on you the crown of life and say to you, you have loved me. And because you have loved me, you have made it through. But that's the end. And then he makes this shift. And then he talks about the meat of the sandwich, temptation. But he starts off with something that kind of maybe changes how some of us think of temptation. In verse 13, he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And we have to stop there, because according to James, temptation comes. It's not when, I mean, it's not if, it's when, right? It's not if, it's when, temptation is going to come. I don't care how long you've been following Jesus. I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care how close you are to Jesus. I don't even care how much you love Jesus. Temptation will come. And when that temptation comes, though, James wants you to know it's not from God. 
And that's really important. Because a lot of us might say, God, why me? Or why is this happening to me? But according to James, it's not from God. Now, God may allow temptation. We see it in the lives of Job, right? We see it in Abraham and Isaac, right? We see it in our own lives, if we're honest. Like, yeah, I can tell you all the things I'm tempted by, right? We see that God allows temptation, but God does not tempt. And the reason we know that God does not tempt, because James is going to tell us that the temptation actually comes not from outside, not from God, but from us, from within us. Now, some of you are just like, well, we read Matthew 4 earlier, or we grew up in church, and in Matthew 4, when Jesus is in the wilderness, we're taught what? That's the temptation of Jesus. Remember what we know about Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is spotless. Jesus is sinless. So if you go back to Matthew 4, the better frame is to remember that Jesus isn't tempted by evil in Matthew 4 because God cannot be tempted. And sin cannot come within Jesus. Remember John, who knew Jesus the best, knew him in and out, looked at Jesus, says, I looked at him, I know him, I see the inner parts of him. And inside of Jesus is no sin. So not only does temptation not come from God, not come from the outside, it comes from within, but God himself cannot be tempted by evil. So what happens in Matthew chapter 4 isn't the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was never going to sin. It's the trial of Jesus which I want to stop here and to say if Jesus can be the God of this universe and he can be in trials, how much more should we expect the trials to come? But I think from Jesus navigating those trials, we shall see how we can do it too. So in Matthew chapter 4, when I was taught about it, it say you see Jesus is, is, is trialed and, and the devil tries to, to try him by his physical. Then he tries to try him by the emotional, right? Then he tries to, 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 to try him by, by his ego. Now, I, I paid too much attention to English class, so I said physical, emotional, ego, P-E-E. I don't like that. Like, that's just too much. Across the, we got to throw that out. So we need something else, right? So I went to Maslow because I'm, I'm a Westerner, right? I'm educated in the West, right? And I'm not sure if Maslow studied Matthew 4, but I find it very interesting that the first three layers on Maslow's hierarchy of needs are what? Physical, safety, and belonging. And if you hold that mindset and you bring that to Matthew chapter 4, what is the first thing that, that Satan tries to, to put Jesus on trial for? It's the physical. Now, I don't know about you, but like after 40 minutes, I get hungry. Now imagine being hungry for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness without shelter. And the devil comes to you and says, what? Yeah, if you're God, look at these stones, command them, make them bread. He goes after the physical. But don't you love our Lord's reaction? Don't you love our Lord's answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is commanded that we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What a reminder to us that when the physical temptation comes, we are to hold on to the word of God. And I'm not just saying memorizing scripture because that's good. I'm saying memorize, right? Memorize the promises of scripture. When the physical comes, memorize that God says, I love you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be by your side. I am with you now and to the end. When the physical comes, Jesus reminds us that, yeah, I could command the bread to stone or the stone to bread. 
but I'd rather rely on the word of God. And if you remember, we're saying that James in chapter 1 last week, right, he's formulating a bunch of this on, on Isaiah 40. And what does Isaiah 40 also teach us? You should have read it last week. If you read it, read it this week. What does Isaiah 40 also teach us, right? That it's God and God's word that goes on forever. The physical might come and go, but God's word goes on forever. And what's the second level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? It's safety. We all want to be secure. We all want to know that we not just have a shelter, but we have a place where we feel secure. And so what does the devil do in trying Jesus? He takes him up, right? And he says, listen, God loves you. God's going to be there. Just throw yourself off this building, right? Throw yourself off this building and God will send angels for you. And remember our Lord's answer. You shall not put the Lord thy God to the test. And here's something I missed about that for years. Jesus, in the midst of trial, in the midst of this trial, is looking the devil in the eye and not just saying, I see you, I see what you're doing, but I'm reminding you that you belong to yourself, the devil, but I belong to God. Because Jesus says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so if the devil is putting Jesus to the test, God is not the God of the devil. So Jesus is reminding us here that, yeah, we should all want to be safe. But the way we be safe is by trusting God. It's by relying on God. It's not by putting God into the test, right? God doesn't want us to run into the streets and dodge the cars and say, God, save me. But God does want us to say that when the trials come, I want you to hold on to me. And what's the last level, not even the last, but the third layer, right? After you feel physically safe, after you feel physical, or your physical is met and you feel safe, the third one is belonging. And so we, a lot of it, and then maybe it's because we're just humans, right? Temptation comes from within. We read this and it's about ego or it's about power, right? It's like, I can give you all the nations of the world if you bow down to me. But I think it's more than ego and power. I think it's that third layer that Maslow talks about with belonging. Satan wants Jesus to belong to him. Satan knows that he doesn't have the power, right, to give all this to Jesus, right? He doesn't have the power to do that. But if Jesus bows down to Satan, Jesus belongs to Satan. That's something you can't come back from. And then remember what Jesus' reaction to this is. No, 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 no. It is said, we shall what? Worship God and worship God alone. We shall serve God and serve God alone. When the trials come, we do well to hold on to the promises of God. When the trials come, we do well not to put God to the test and to trust God. When the trials come, we do well not to surrender to Satan, but to surrender to the Lord. To surrender to the Lord. To surrender to the Lord. Amen? Amen? And that's how we get through the trials. But now we come to temptations. When James talks about temptations, he talks about it as something that comes from within. And there's, there's not just, oh, in the Greek he's using two different words, right? Trials and temptations. But for James, temptation comes not from God, not from outside, right? So there's a lot of us who put a lot of focus on what the outside world can do to us. According to James, the outside world is going to be the outside world. <laughs> Don't be shocked by that, right? Your temptation is going to come not from the outside world, but from inside of you. And we get back to Jesus we realize that, again, he's not tempted. He's in trial, but he's not tempted because he was this spotless lamb of God 
Remember Peter, the man of action, right? Jesus, if it's really you, I want to walk on water too. Okay, let's go. Walk on water, right? Jesus, these people are coming to, to arrest you. I'm going to fight them off with one sword. Let's chop off this guy's ear. To say that Peter was a man of action would be an understatement. When it came to Jesus, what did Peter, the man of action, how did he categorize Jesus? He says what? He who did or committed no sin. Remember Paul who wrote most of the New Testament, the scholar, the academic, the great theologian, right? When it came to Jesus, how did he characterize Jesus? He says, he who knew no sin. And I already shared about John, his best friend who knew him the most, who knew him inside and out. And he says, in whom there is no sin. So Jesus wasn't tempted. He was under trial. But we are tempted because we are not Jesus. But James seems to warn us here that it starts off with our thoughts. And when these thoughts become these evil desires, when they're enticed, they give birth to sin. And sin gives birth to death. And that's hard for some of us. Because James wants us to know that when we sin, it's not God's fault. It's our own. When we miss the mark, it's not because of everything that's happened to us. It's because we've missed the mark. We have sinned. We have fallen short. We have walked outside of God's design. We have left good undone. You can keep going there, but James wants you to know that this temptation that gave birth to sin that will lead to death, it comes from within you. And I think part of the reason that temptation comes within us is that quite often these temptations happen to just be the dark side, right, of some very good gifts that come from God. So, for example, we all have physical needs. Like, I'm hungry right now just thinking about, like, what I'm going to eat in, like, 40 minutes, right? We all have physical needs. But James seems to believe that if, if me taking my physical needs and I'm, I'm just piling on my plate and piling on my plate and piling on my plate and I'm being a glutton and you're starving, James seems to think that that's sinful. Or, or, or what about being safe, right? We all want to be safe. And I think we do well as Americans to remember this part, but if our safety comes at the peril of sisters and brothers the world over, if our safety comes by thy salvation, if our safety comes by their death, if our safety and comfort in America comes by the world dying, we are sinning. Or, or what about the third level, right? We all want to belong. It is not a sin to want to belong. It's not a sin to want to be home. It's not a sin to want to be known and loved. It's not a sin to want to be accepted. It's not a sin to want to find your people. But it does become a sin if your people are not for the kingdom of God. It does become a sin if belonging matters more than belonging to God himself. If being a citizen, say in this case of America, matters more than being a citizen of heaven. It does become a sin if your people are going about for me and mine instead of Jesus and his kingdom. Belonging is good, but the dark side of belonging is if it pulls you away from God, you are walking away from God. We all want to be loved. We all deserve to be loved. But if we go for love in the wrong places, the temptation leads to sin. We all, this pandemic has taught us, right, that we're all lonely, whether or not we live in a house with five or six other people or we live by ourselves, this pandemic has reminded us how lonely we all are. But if our loneliness leads to an addiction or an affliction or if our loneliness leads to the harm of others or if our loneliness leads to the harm of ourselves, then that loneliness has become not just a temptation but a sin. 
We all want life and life more abundantly. But if that life comes at the cost of someone else or taking away from someone else, then we are not being faithful to our God and to our sisters and brothers. And in the midst of all of this, the evil desire that starts his thoughts, that enticed desires, that, 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 that is conceived and gives birth to sin, that, that gives birth to death. Inside of all of this, James reminds us that our God gives good and perfect gifts. That temptation isn't what comes from God, but good and perfect gifts is what comes from God. That in the midst of the trial, as we've seen earlier, but now in the midst of this temptation, we have a God who's faithful. We have a God who's there. We have a God who's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And James is, 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 is talking about faithfulness as a God who doesn't turn his back on us. And there's a beautiful wordplay that he's doing here to talk about not just the faithfulness of God, but this idea that God does not turn, right? He's not like a, he's the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. And it's a reminder to us that when darkness comes here, it's not because the sun is turning its back on us, right? But it's because what? The earth is rotating away from the sun. And I want us to hold on to this, right? Because I'm not saying that if you're in darkness, it's because it's your fault, right? I think that's too simple of, a, of an explanation. But it's a reminder that even when you're in darkness, the sun is still shining. And the morning is still coming. And God is still there. So when we turn while we can turn, God does not shift like the shadows. And I love that the faithfulness that James calls him the father of lights who sends good gifts from above. We have to remember that James is writing to a people who worship the sun and the stars and the moon. He's talking to a people who thought they were at best angels or at least celestial beings. And James is saying, no, 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 no. The God we worship, the God who's on our side, the God who doesn't change, the God who's faithful, he's the God of even those things too. And I think because we have so much, or maybe we don't look up enough at the stars, we don't realize the significance of that, right? Like, this is like, in our context, it might be like James be like, yeah, Jeff Bezos might have money, but God owns the world, right? Like, like, like in our culture, we, 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 Beyonce might be beautiful, right? But God has all the beauty, right? All these things we idolize in our culture is the same thing that they idolize with the stars and the, the, the sun and the moon. And God is literally saying, he's the father of all that too. And it's God who's the father of all that has blessed you. How did he bless you? He doesn't birth temptation. He births the truth. He births us through the word of truth. If we go back to Isaiah 40, Isaiah is saying God's going to go forever. God's word is going to go forever. But there's this beautiful thing that James is saying. That while sin or while temptation can lead to desires being enticed, can lead to sin, can lead to death. What God is going to birth inside of you. By holding on to his promises, by holding on to his word, by holding on to God himself, what God is going to birth inside of you is that you might be the first fruits of all that God has made. Most of us in this room aren't farmers, so maybe this doesn't hit us as much. But the first fruits are a sign of the harvest to come. The first fruits are a sign that God was with you through the rainy season, through the dry season, through the scorched season, that God brought fruit. The first fruits was a sign of what is to come. It was a reminder to you that there's more still to come, that this blessing is good, but there's so much more to come. 
And I love that when James says this, in light of temptation, that when you persevere, when you come through, when you trust God, when you hold on to God's word, you can be the first fruits. Sisters and brothers, Adelphoi, right? That's the word he uses, Adelphoi, my brethren, right? You are the first fruits to the world. It was true in the time of James, and it's true now. The harvest is not over. There's still more to come. There's still more people to believe and to come into the kingdom. But your job is to be a first fruit to the world, that they see you and know that God is there in the rainy season, that God is there in the shiny season, that God is there in the darkness, that God is there in the trial, that God is there in the addiction, that God is there in the affliction, that God is there in the hard times. You can be the first fruit of all that God has made. We are just a preview of all that is to come. But before we move on, I want to say more about temptation. Because I think the snare of temptation can actually help us by helping us to hold on to God. The first thing I want us to hold on to is simply this. Temptation comes. It'll come. I don't care how much you love God. I don't care how long you've been following God. I don't care how close you feel to God right now. Temptation will come. And this devil that we're fighting, who's this roaring lion, will find your weak part and he'll press in on that weak part, right? You may struggle with something that I don't struggle with. That's what he's going to tempt you with. Temptation will come. But praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Spirit. Cherish our Father. Because while temptation will come, we can overcome. We can overcome. We overcome temptation by doing what Jesus taught us to do. Live on God's alone, God's word alone. Let that be your food. Let that be what feeds you physically. Live on and, live on and trust God's promises. When temptation comes, think of a promise that God has made you and hold on to that. When temptation comes, trust God and God alone. When temptation comes, worship God and God alone. When temptation comes, surrender to God and God alone. Your temptation is going to want you to submit to you. It's going to want you to submit to what the Bible calls the flesh, right? It's going to want you to submit to, to, to this nature that's going to pull you away from God. But the job of a Christian every single day is many things. But one I want to hold on to is that our job is to surrender. Surrender to the Spirit. Surrender to God. Surrender not to the temptation, because that will give birth to sin and death. Surrender to the Spirit, because that will give new life in Christ. Temptation will come, but you can overcome. The second one is that temptation will come, but Tim shall. Tim Shell is one of my favorite concepts in all the Bible. If you ever read the book East of Eden, it's a long way to do it. You can just listen to Mumford and Sons song, Tim Shell. You'll get most of it in those two places. But Tim Shell is this beautiful concept, and it's found actually in Genesis 4. In Genesis 4, we know the story of Cain and Abel. And if you don't read Genesis 4, you'll learn the story of Cain and Abel. God, in Genesis 2 and 3, creates Eve and Adam in his image. Together, they're created in the image of God. God makes them co-regents oh, over everything. God makes them perfectly equal. The English betrays us by calling Eve the helper when actually she's the Ezer, right? Like when David says, I lift my eyes up to the mountain, where does my coffee come from, right? Like where does my dinner come from? No, David said, where does my Ezer come from? In fact, most of the time in the Old Testament, when it's used Ezer, it's talking to God, right? So for those of us who are struggling whether or not women are equal to us, I will tell you this. I'll give you a little truth here, right? 
there's more of a biblical argument that women are superior to men than they're inferior. Now, you'd be wrong because God created us equal. But if you want to be wrong and at least more right, think women are superior, right? Like, if you mean, yeah, like, just, just go that way, right? You'll be wrong, but at least be wrong on the somewhat right side, right? But God creates them as Ezer. And after God creates them as Ezer, as equal, as co-regents, right? In Genesis 4, children are born. Cain and Abel are born. And if you remember the story, they both, right, there's two sons. One was with the flock and one was with the, what do you call that? The fruits and vegetables? The stuff you people eat, right? Like, what's that called? Like, the fruits and vegetables, the harvest, whatever, right? But what you remember about the story is that there was one son who brought the first fruits there was another son who brought what they thought was good enough. And if you remember the story, starting in verse, I think, 7, God says to Cain, then Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you may rule over it. And that's where Tim Shell comes in. So when we think about temptation, I think this is why Tim Shell is, is, is not only helpful, but I think that's why it's actually in Genesis 4. Not just to tell us that Abel died, right, and Cain got a mark, but to remind us that for all of us, temptation and sin will be at our door. But we have a choice. Because some people read that you may rule over it, the Tim Shell, some people read that as an order, right? You will rule over sin. And there might be some sins that you can rule over. Right? For example, you will never have to worry about me loving, you know, with all my heart and Eagles fan. Like, you'll never have to worry about that. You'll never have to worry about me loving with all my heart kale, right? Like, you'll never be like, Hank's such a glutton, he eats kale all the time. Like, you'll never, like, I can rule over that, right? Like, Eagles fans, they might as well be sin. Like, I rule over them, right? I can do that one. I can do that part. Or, but there's some of us, right, where, where, where we read that, Sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, you may rule over it. Some people translate that as a promise, like you will surely triumph, right? I do well with that one too. Like the Eagles win one a lifetime, so I'm just like, we win Super Bowls every decade. Like we will triumph in the end. I do well there too. So there's going to be some sins in your life, right, that you might struggle through, but you've learned to triumph over it. But I don't think either of those are the, the, the perfect translation of Tim Shell. Because God is not saying sin's at your door, you're going to rule over it. Or you may sometimes rule over it, or like maybe in the future. But what God is saying is that the temptation will come. The evil desire will start within. And if you give thought to that and let it build, it'll be enticing, give birth to sin. Sin is always going to be crouching at your door. But you have a choice. Are you going to surrender to God? Or are you going to surrender to yourself? Are you going to surrender to the spirit? Or are you going to surrender to the flesh? Sin is crouching at your door. You may rule over it. It's a choice. And so John, who I love, who loved Jesus, right? He um, kind of said it a little bit harsher than that, right? For John, it's like, yeah, you either rule over sin or sin's going to rule over you, right? And if you're not, if you didn't get that part, he goes, listen, when it comes to temptation to sin, either you look like Jesus or you look like the devil. Pick one. And I think that's important for us to realize, too, that when sin and temptation lies at our door, it desires to rule over us. But our choice every single day is, am I willing to surrender to the flesh or the spirit? Am I willing to choose myself or my God? And there's something I got at the end of this week, thinking about Abel. It always pained my soul 
that Abel, doing what he's supposed to be doing, is killed by his brother. Always pained my soul. And I thought about the promise at the end. I thought about how Abel died in this world, but he received the crown of life. I thought about how Abel died in this world, but at the end, God got to say, you gave the first fruits. Well done, Abel. But then I thought about this passage, and I thought about where we fit in. And I thought about something that God and Jesus himself is asking us to do. And that is not just dying to this world, but dying to ourselves. There's way more in scripture to ask us to die to ourselves than to live our best life. There's way more in scripture to ask us to surrender than to do whatever we feel or whatever we want. There's way more in scripture to ask us to bow down to God than to bow down to ourselves. And I thought about how Abel died and got the crown of life at the end. But today, now, in this moment, if we are willing to die to ourselves, we get to be the first fruits. Abel could only offer up the first fruit to the Lord. Now Jesus is asking to offer you up as the first fruits of the Lord. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful that for this world that's dark, God has chosen to send us. That to this world that knows struggle and pain, God has chosen us to be overcomers. And to this world that knows brokenness, God has chosen us to be peacemakers. And to this world that needs light, and love, and healing, and reconciliation, and justice, and mercy, and compassion. God has chosen us. God has chosen you. If we're willing to die to ourselves, we'll not only survive the trials, but we'll brave the temptations too, and we get to be the first fruits. And yeah, at the end, you get the crown of life, right? Yours is probably going to be a little prettier than mine, but that's okay. I'm, I'm working on it, right? You'll get the crown of life at the end. But today, right now, you get to be a first fruit to this world. And I think that's beautiful. Amen? I'd like to invite up the, the worship team and Pastor Hannah as they'll be leading us in our last song. I'd like to also invite any of the pastors in the room up front. We'd love to pray for you. Um, I don't know what's going on in life. Maybe there's something you need to respond to in the sermon. Or maybe there's, a, there's an area that God is asking you to, to surrender to him. Or maybe there's someone else you need to pray for. But whatever you've got going on, we'd love to pray for you. But as we stand and sing, if you need to sit down and do some work with the Lord, do that too. Right? If you need to just sit down and listen to the song, listen to your sisters and brothers sing. But you need to just say, God, this is where I need you. This is why I need to trust your promises. This is why I need to hold on to you. This is why I need to feel that you're holding on to me. If you need to do that work, do that work too. But as we stand and sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, may we be reminded that our God is on our side. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Thank you.
Pastor Hannah's been trying to sing that song for like a year and I kept kiboshing it. You know, I was like, I don't think it fits. But I think it does fit today. Because through our trials, through our temptations, what a glory to know that Jesus is our friend. What a glory to know that we can take it to the Lord in prayer. What a glory to remember that prayer is not just us talking to the Lord, but also letting the Lord talk to us. And it's with that that as we leave this morning, I want us to be reminded that the perseverance that comes, whether it's trial or temptation, it can lead to a more mature faith. It can lead to a more deeper understanding of who God is. It can lead to not just the crown of life to come, but it can lead to abundant life today. And I pray for all of us that we're not just living for the crown of life to come, but we're living to be first fruits now. That we're giving each other strength, that we're giving each other love, that we're giving each other mercy, and that when the world looks at us, and not just our faith, 
but they turn to our God and Father. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God who births life within us. So God, we pray for those of us who feel more dark than light, that we can remember today that the true light is already shining in us and all around us. For those of us who feel closer to death than life, that you promise to bring new life in us and through us and among us. Lord, we pray for those of us who are mired by our temptations, who are overwhelmed by the trials, that we remember that you are indeed our friend, that you are indeed the one who promises to carry us through, that you are indeed the one who doesn't leave us nor forsake us. So Lord, we pray this morning for perseverance. God, help us to endure. Help us to walk through and be refined by the fire. Help us to walk through not just the choppy waves, but on dry ground, holding on to you. God, help us to persevere so that we can proclaim your name, so that we can know you deeper, so that we can know you more. But Lord, help us to persevere so our world can know your name, so our world can know you deeper, so our world can know you more. God, you have entrusted us the work of your kingdom. You have gifted us your son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the church, and you've gifted us for this world. So Lord, help us to be first fruits of the harvest to come. Help us to be first fruits of your goodness that's available to all. Help us to be first fruits of your love, your mercy, your compassion, your healing, your goodness. Lord, help us to be the first fruit now so our world can see us and glorify you in heaven. Lord, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for carrying us. We thank you for being with us. And now, Lord, as we depart, we pray that we hold on to you and hold on to each other. And we ask that you teach us how to love you more and how to love one another even more. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.